Before we uh, dive into the sermon uh, this morning, I want to take a few moments and introduce you to uh, a a new pastoral staff here in our Ann Arbor location. Uh, His name's John Beyer. I'm going to ask him and his wife to come up as I introduce them. Uh, John and his wife, Carissa, have been married for a long time. 20? 28. Longer than I've been alive. <laughs> they have four kids, four grown kids, uh, who are all following Jesus. And uh, man, if, if you've met them, great kids, uh, great, great looking kids too. Thanks, thanks to you, Carissa. Right? Yeah. Uh, John is currently our uh, Canton site pastor, and he's going to be making this transition to this location here in Ann Arbor. Uh, his role is going to be in the area of relational discipleship and leadership development. Uh, he's basically going to be taking over the role that Brian had taken with community groups and, and much more. Right now, he has kind of one foot at both locations. Uh, he has some responsibilities here. Uh, he currently still has some in Canton. We've been, we've been on a national search to find a new pastor at, at that location. And when we do that, John and Carissa will transition fully here. Um, and, and so... Um, I just want to take a few moments just to introduce him and uh, just for you to get to know him because you'll be seeing him a lot more and I'm just going to let him say a few words. I just want to say we are so excited to be transitioning from Grace Canton over to Grace Ann Arbor. Uh, we talk about as a church sharing life together and becoming more like Jesus and uh, we really believe in the power of that. And we come together in a relationship, we invite God to be right in the midst of that, in the midst of our undone and raw lives and and God does what he does best. He begins to form and shape us and help us to become more like Jesus. And, and so we look forward to coming alongside, coaching and encouraging and supporting um, our community group leaders. We've met uh, many of you, but, but some of you ha- we haven't met. And so we're going to be in the back um, of the church after the service, and we'd love to, to meet you. Um, community group leaders that we haven't met, as well as uh, the rest of you who are here this morning. Thank you very much. All right, let's uh, give John and Krista a warm welcome again. <clears throat> we are in our series called Don't Waste Your Life, and uh, this is a uh, loosely based on John Piper's book entitled The Same Thing, and again, very loosely based on the book of Ecclesiastes, which we'll be diving into today. Uh, uh, In the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about, uh, today we're going to talk about don't waste your dreams. We're going to talk about in the coming weeks, don't waste your marriage, don't waste your family, don't waste your work, don't waste your time, don't waste your calling, don't waste your pain, don't waste your summer, (laughs) and a lot more other topics. And so today, uh, looking at don't waste your dreams, uh, turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, Uh, We're going to dive into chapter 1, a few verses, and then look at the end of the book. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. And uh, follow along as I read this passage. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. So that's Solomon. He's identifying himself as Solomon. And he says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. 
Well, let's pause there. One of my heroes of the faith was a missionary named Jim Elliott. He was a young man who was killed in the jungles of Ecuador about 60 years ago. Now, he hadn't even reached uh, the age of 30 when his life was savagely and brutally taken from him. But his legacy lives on today uh, in, in God's sight and in ours because he lived for one great passion, and that was to make Jesus Christ known. And his particular calling, he felt like, was to make Christ known among the unreached tribe of the Waudani Indians in Ecuador. He and four other missionaries made contact from their small Cessna plane as they flew over using a loudspeaker and a basket to drop gifts to them. After several months, they, they uh, set up camp, base camp uh, along the beach right near the Indian village. And from there, they gradually over time befriended some of them and started to gain their trust. Well, while they were planning to visit the Indian village on January 8th, 1956, a group of a dozen Waudani warriors ambushed them and killed all five missionaries. As their bodies floated down, down the river uh, and their lives just tragically uh, taken from them. Well, that news went around the world immediately. I, I mean, this was international news, and the, the, the news was saying, man, what a tragedy. These five young lives cut short at their prime. What a tragedy. Well, was that a tragedy? I will say that in God's economy, the answer is a resounding no. Their lives were not wasted. Right? Jesus once said this, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. So if you want to protect your life and be self-protective, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, gives it up and surrenders it, and for the gospel, will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Well, Jim Elliott, in fact, echoed the words of Jesus as he was writing in his journal before he even went to Ecuador, and he's known for this famous saying that, that he wrote in his journal. He, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You are not a fool if you give up material, temporary things in order to gain eternal things that you can never, ever lose. And so, in God's economy, his life, his death was not a tragedy. I'll tell you what a tragedy is. I'll show you how to waste your life. I'm going to show a short clip of a, of a sermon that John Piper gave uh, where his book came out of called Don't Waste Your Life, where he illustrates uh, through the example of an article that he shares of what a wasted life looks like. So to take a look at this. He was 59 and she was 51. 
play softball and collect shells. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all of my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream, a nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells. As the last chapter, before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did, here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Look, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a good swing. And look at my bow. God. So Piper's sermon on a wasted life is powerful because, again, understand he's not necessarily saying uh, having a, a seashell collection is sinful and wrong, right? In fact, my daughter has a quite impressive seashell collection, right? He's not saying early retirement is bad. What he is saying, it exposes the tragedy of living only for this world. And so Solomon says the same thing. Vanity of vanities, meaningless, meaningless. I've been there and done that. And if you read through chapters one and two, you see all the things that he pursued and chased after. And he said, you know, I chased after every dream and desire only to find out that it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. And so he, Solomon says, the reason why you can't find what you're looking for is because you are looking in all the wrong places. He uses the phrase under the sun no less than 28 times throughout the book. In other words, he's saying there is no satisfaction, there is no meaning that will ultimately fill you that is under the sun here in this world. He's basically saying, look, everybody is on a wild goose chase, but there is no goose. And so we run and chase after all these things that we think will give us happiness and satisfaction only to find out that, you know what, God has designed even the emptiness and futility of our lives to actually be a signpost that points to him, which is not the way I, I've often thought of it, right? And, so, and so, so, really, we could say it this way, it is God himself who is in and behind the emptiness of your life. Have you ever felt lonely and empty? I mean, even as a Christian, Right? This is saying, look, that brokenness, that emptiness that, that, that you're experiencing, and you're like, where are you, God? Ecclesiastes is saying God is actually in your emptiness. He's actually behind it trying to draw you back to himself. He's bringing you to the, you to the point where you, you come to the end of yourself and you return to him, which is why St. Augustine so famously said so long ago, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. 
And so Solomon says, if your eyes are not looking above the sun, you are trying way too hard to find satisfaction and meaning in things that are under the sun. And he says, they can't fill your heart. They will never satisfy you. Then we go to the end of the book. We, we go to the c- conclusion in chapter 12, and he warns us not to get caught up in, in a life that counts for nothing. And he pre- addresses particularly young people, although I feel like older people are, are, uh, uh, understand this a lot better because, because of our age and experience. But at the end of the chapter, the end of the book, this is what Solomon says. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. He's no longer a youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Right, that, that's kind of how he ends the last chapter of the book. Uh, probably the most uh, well-known theologian of our day, Paul David Hewson. Anybody ever hear of him? <laughs> right, many of you know him as Bono. Right, this is what he said once. Uh, he says, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. It's a book about a character who wants to find out why he's alive, why he was created. He tries knowledge. He tries wealth. He tries experience. He tries everything. You hurry to the end of the book to find out why, and it says, remember your creator. In a way, it's such a letdown. Yet, it isn't. Right? And I think he's on to something because it seems so simple, right? But most people live their lives without a singular purpose that the writer of Ecclesiastes is talking about, right? Instead, most people spend their lives on trivial diversions, on pleasures and comfort that aren't going to last. And even, if we're, even as Christians, maybe we, we try to be a good person, we try to avoid sin, but here's the thing, that, that doesn't mean that you are not wasting your life because it is possible to be distracted by good things so much so that we lose out on the very one thing that God wants in our lives. <laughs> this past week I read this statistic that kind of surprised me. The average American, assuming that they live to the average age of 75, will spend almost 12 years of their life watching television over the course of their entire life. 12 years, right? Uh, I mean, talk about trivial diversion. Uh, I also read another article that said uh, we spend about a year and a half just flipping through the channels trying to decide what we're going to watch. And that doesn't even include like internet and your cell phone and all that kind of stuff. I don't know how many of you have read this or heard about this, but the CEO of Netflix uh, in this past quarterly uh, uh, meeting with her shareholders, Reed Hastings, when asked, how will Netflix stay ahead of Amazon and their growing library of prime videos? Well, Hastings uh, proceeded to praise Amazon and its founder, Jeff Bezos, and he said, and and then he kind of answered in a way that was kind of unexpected. He said, you know, it turns out that Netflix doesn't actually consider Amazon to be their primary competition. In fact, it's not even HBO or Hulu or any other similar services. Uh, The main competition for Netflix is something far more elemental. How many of you have read that? What is it? Sleep. (laughs) Netflix's primary competition is sleep, right? 
Netflix is not competing with all these other organizations and trying to fill, they are trying to fill your every waking moment to the tune of at least 12 years of your life. And you know this if you have Netflix. I mean, I mean, you watch an episode and then it's like, what happens after you watch the episode, right? The countdown happens, 20, 19, as if like you could get your life together in 20 seconds, right? And so what ends up happening? Like, oh, I should go to bed. Oh, no, I, oh my goodness, I should, I should really go to bed, but I wanna watch the show, right? Their main competition is sleep. They're trying to d- divert your entire life to waste it away watching whatever series you're watching. Now, the opposite of wasting your life, according to Solomon and Ecclesiastes, is living by a single God-honoring passion. Solomon is calling us to live a life that pleases God by making him, who made the entire universe, our <laughs> first and highest priority. And the best time that he says to do this is when you're still young enough to give your entire life to the service of God. And let me speak, I know graduation just happened this weekend. There may be some here, people here who just graduated. Congratulations. I mean, this is, Solomon is speaking right to you and, and any, any of us who are really young. He says, look, don't wait till you're old and you no longer have a desire to do much anything with your life anyways. Rather give your life to Jesus right now while you still have that burning passion to make a difference in the world. So the Apostle Paul, he had one single aim uh, that, that drove his ministry and his life. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, I decide to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified was both the foundation and the goal of the Apostle Paul's life and ministry. Everything he said and did was driven and fueled by that one thing. And so Paul is pleading with us that we would live our lives with such singular focus and for the cross of Christ to be that focus in our lives. In a similar way, a story that Jesus tells, and this is one of my favorite stories that Jesus tells, it's found in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, And some of you may know this story. It's a story of a man who's walking along and one day he discovers a a treasure that is buried in a field. And so it's not his field, so, and he immediately sees the invaluable worth that this, this treasure is. And so he reburies it, he goes home, he sells everything that he owns. He gives it all up and sells it just so he could have the resources to buy the field in order to gain this treasure that he has found that was worth much more than everything that he owned. And so Jesus says, this is what it looks like when you live by a singular God-honoring passion, where you gladly surrender anything and everything for that pearl of great price, which is Jesus Christ. And so I think for us, what that means is, if you're a follower of Jesus, nobody should ever live the Christian life moaning about, the, about all the things that you have to give up in order to follow Jesus. Because if you do, then you still think there's treasure out there, that this treasure, Jesus, is not the supreme worth and valuable treasure in the world, that you think that treasure is still out there somewhere under the sun. And so nobody should ever say, oh, man, following Jesus means I have to stop sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Oh, that's just too much to give up. Nobody should say, oh, man, being a Christian, uh, that, means, uh, that means I need to start to be generous and open-handed and, and, and tied like those darn kids in Sunday school. Man, gosh, I hate this. 
They're all saying, look, you are not going to really follow Christ unless you are absolutely convinced that treasure doesn't exist anywhere else. There's nothing under the sun that will give you meaning and purpose. None of your dreams and desires that will fulfill you in a way that will bring you lasting peace. And it's not until you see the futility of all other treasures that you come to the place where you're willing to sell everything else and follow Jesus. One illustration I'll give, I'm gonna post a picture of my wife up here, my my wife and I. Uh, I have a very kind and beautiful and loving wife, everything that I am not. And some of you have wondered, uh, if if you know her, have met her, maybe seen this picture, like, man, how, how did he convinced her to marry him, right? <laughs> totally legitimate question, I still don't know. Uh, you know, one thing is, uh, it's, it's always funny, after church on Sunday, Amy will often tell me stories about people that she's met, especially during the greeting time. And it's always funny, because she always says, yeah, you know, people don't know who I am, that I'm your wife, and so during greeting time, I turn around and say hi, and, and the question that, one question that I often get is like, oh, are you a grad student? And she says, uh, no, not really. And then they ask her, like, oh, how long have you been at the church? And she says, well, you know, well, uh, I guess since the beginning. Um, And then they're like, oh, okay, great. And then they start turning around to greet somebody else. And then she'll blurt out, "Uh, you know, because Sung is my husband. And then all of a sudden, and this is kind of funny, they, 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 they kind of turn around like, oh, like they, there's some renewed interest in like who she is. And she's even gotten this, like, oh, uh, she gets this sometimes, like, oh, uh, you know, I hear Sung talking about you so much, I didn't know you really existed. <laughs> yeah, so here she is, right? She's not just a figment of my imagination, right? Uh, she really does exist. But imagine this, it would be totally absurd of me to moan and groan about all the things I had to give up when I asked her to marry me. Right? Could you imagine on our wedding day, walking down the aisle and me just going, man, I can't believe that I can't just do whatever I want anymore. I can't believe I can't just come home to a nice, peaceful, quiet house after a long day. I can't believe I can't just throw my socks anywhere I want to and not have anybody nag me. I can't believe I can't just go out and buy whatever I want. I knew that when I married her, that there would be a cost. But there was no way I could continue to think and act like a single guy and still be a good husband. And so it is, right? What, do, you, and do you think that when I asked her to marry me, that I even blinked or had any questions about what I was going to give up to marry her? No way. Not a bit, right? Why? It was totally worth it because now I get to be with her for the rest of my life, right? Is there a cost? Yes. Because did it hurt? Yes, because, uh, but, but until I came to the point where I was convinced of the futility of living my own life without her, right, uh, it, it was really no cost to marry her. It was actually an honor and a privilege. And so it is with us and Jesus, right, where he is wanting us to come to the place where we are so weary and so tired of living our own lives, living for our own purposes. He brings us to the place where we will experience the emptiness of of living for our own trivial pursuits. He will bring us to the place where we experience the brokenness of living for ourselves, where you will come to the end of yourself and finally say, 
you know what? There's no other treasure. I've tried it all. And the only treasure that is here under the sun is the, is the one person that, that is actually above the sun. It's only then that God begins a new work of transformation in you. And if you're still looking for other treasure and you're trying to live a Christian life, I will tell you it will be a miserable Christian life. I think for somebody like Jim Elliott, no cost was too high because he understood the bargain that Christ was offering him, right? Give up my life even in death for, for, for the one thing I cannot lose? Gladly, Jesus, I will do it. Now, let me say this. I think this whole idea, right, when you hear stories of people being martyrs and dying for Christ, I think that sounds really glamorous and extraordinary. But I think perhaps something that's even harder and more challenging, more so than dying for Christ in the extraordinary and glamorous moments, is really living for Christ in the mundane, ordinariness of of your everyday life. And so that's the challenge for us. Right, uh, Jesus talked about the pearl of great price. Uh, Solomon talked about uh, finding meaning only above the sun. Two thousand years later, how much more should we stand in awe of all the sacrifice that Jesus uh, offered for us? Right, giving His own life, dying on the cross, redeeming our sins, forgiving us, rising from the dead. You know, uh, that means on one hand, and this is really comforting, that God will never ever leave you. He is always by your side. On the flip side, we sang about this this morning, uh, it's also terrifying because God will never relent until he has all of you, right? Don't you have those moments when you're like, God, can you please just leave me alone? Like, I I don't want to change. I don't want to become more like Jesus. And he says, no, I will not relent until I have all of you. And so I want to leave you with these two questions for you to ponder. First is this, what area of your life have you not yet surrendered to Christ? He's coming after that. He will never leave you or forsake you, but he he is relentlessly pursuing you even in this moment. Second question, what next step do you need to take to make Jesus Christ the one passion of your life and the source from which all of your dreams and all of your desires flow out of? With that, would you bow your heads and close your eyes and take a moment to reflect and pray and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you.